Yeah, hey, welcome to another episode of the 6 a.m. podcast. Yeah. Mr. Galino, how are you today? I'm super fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Good. Did you have a good weekend? I did. Um, a lot of baseball. Yeah? A lot of baseball. Your boy um, playing baseball? Yeah, they both are, man. It's like... Oh, they both are? Yeah, and they're like, every night of the week, it's pack the bags, eat some food, get down there yeah. till dark. Yeah. And then fight everybody, get to bed after homework. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a nightmare. It's a busy time. Yeah. How about you? I had a great weekend. Yeah. I saw you uh, tickling the deck with your tootsies. I was. I did. I, I was skating this weekend. Question is. Yes. Did you nail your kickflip? I did not. Ah. I did not nail my kickflip this weekend. Yeah. But I. But it's coming back. I mean, scale of one to ten, how close are you? Uh, probably like a six. They're tough, man, because you've got to like. Like I, I understand the concept of kickflips. I never could sure. do it, but like you know, the the act of like kicking out the board and then getting your feet back to where you can land it. Yeah, I mean, it's like the timing has to be perfect. Well, the timing has to be good, and I think like you know, first, I, let me say this: that I'm totally jealous that kids like learning how to skate today. They have so much information available yeah. to them on technique and everything that you know you had to have a real you had to have a friend that knew his stuff. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you were you know when we were growing up. So they could teach you this stuff, and they usually couldn't be bothered because they were too busy skating, right? But being awesome, yeah, they're too busy being awesome, and you're too busy like wishing you were them. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when you you could get an occasional magazine where someone would like outline sure I mean, how to do this trick and sure, I mean I I mean I subscribe to Thrasher and Transworld and you know. yeah. So anyway, I you know. I was, you know, I actually did some research and stuff. It was like brushing up because the other thing is, is that the reason I started skating again is because my kids want to skate, and okay. and I was like, well, you know, I used to skate, and you know, and they all, yeah, you know, my kids all think I'm full of shit about everything. So, <laughs> so it was cool to like, you know, take them out, and yeah. the old man still got it right. But what I want to do is I want to learn how to be a good teacher, right? So, you yeah. know, I was like brushing up on like how do I teach them these techniques because. You know, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's like this, and you do it like that. You know, which is how I ta- I was taught. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> well, you just do it like this, and then you land it. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. You know. <laughs> so anyway, then yeah. you spend hours at home trying to get it. Absolutely. I used to practice. We had um we had like a little paved area that was at the bottom door of our house, um, but the rest of our driveway was um was gravel. Okay. It was small gravel, but it was perfect because you could sit there and practice like kickflips or ollies all day until you got it down without the sure. board like skating Stand out from up. underneath right you, right you know and like banging your head off the ground or your elbows whatever yeah. came first right that's awesome um so that's that's what i used to do truth be told i don't know that i ever really got like the mechanics of any of it down oh really no i mean <laughs> i i would get to the point where i could like successfully ollie onto and off of like a curb yeah. if i was skating um but it wasn't pretty Sure. And it was like more of just functionality, but you know, like getting to the point where I could actually do a trick and make it meaningful to do something. Sure. Yeah. It was never me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, a, it's the funniest, you know, just like everything else, just like jujitsu, just like anything else you do, any type of sport at all. It's like when you watch this stuff, you're only seeing the, the stuff that lands. Yeah. You don't see the a hundred tries before, it. you know, <laughs> all the practice, yep. you know, I mean, I fell a lot this weekend, you know, but yeah. You know, it came back to me pretty quick, like how to fall, you know, and all that. Yeah. You know. And there's some great videos out there. I saw one of, um, 
yeah, I, I forget the names at this point, but uh, it was a guy trying to land a kickflip off of like like twenty steps. Oh yeah, and it was a progression of like like over a years of him trying, and he just videotaped himself every day, like out there working and going to work, and he finally lands it. It was just like. Uh, now what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was like it was awesome for a moment, and then it's like, well, I did that now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I go crazy. Similar with to the movie, like I'm not going to spoil this, but like you know, if you ever watch Free Solo or Dawn Wall, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like they finally accomplished this thing, which, by the way, I'm gonna, I am gonna spoil Free Solo. He falls off the wall. That sucks. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they'll accomplish this amazing thing that they've tried their whole life to accomplish. And then it's just like, I mean, okay, on to the next. Yeah, you're on to the next thing. Hey, you know what the next thing is, though? What is the next thing? So I was out this this uh, this past week. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to nail anybody to the wall for this. But but there, I, I took up a little bit of an issue with uh, aggressive styling in, in older men. You're going to have to explain what this means. Well, you know, like. If you're in your late fifties, okay, and you're dressing like Justin Bieber, yeah, that's a little too aggressive for you. That's aggressive like, styling. Yeah, like if like so, you know, if you have like this really like trendy hairstyle, but but you're half bald. Yeah, that's or aggressive fully styling. Bald. Yeah, <laughs> or fully bald. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so what were you looking at? I mean, what was it that happened to you? Well, you know, I see this guy walking around, and he's got. Um, what I, I guess would be his two daughters with him, you know, young teenagers. And the styling was so close between what they were dressed as and what he was dressed as that, like, you know, he kind of looked like he was trying to be their friend. Yeah, I understand. But that's weird, man. Or you're, there was, he was, like, kind of hoping the cashier would be like, oh, and your brother? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, no, that's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, sir, you must be in your uh, late 30s. <laughs> I got you. No, no. I'm in my 60s. Right. <laughs> and I'm just as fresh now as Trip I was another one. <laughs> and I think the problem is, like, we get to this age where, you know, like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Like, you got more money than, than you did when you wanted to buy that stuff. Right. And, like, wow, that looks pretty awesome on my kids. Like, man, you know, that new Under Armour gear looks real good, and it's, you know, it's nice and fresh. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give that a try. Yeah, I used to be able to rock that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, man. You know, Umbros, <laughs> jams. Oh. <laughs> my mom used to make me jams. <laughs> she would go and buy Awesome Thread, and then she would, like, she had all, she would make them for me, and I had, like, the coolest jams on the planet, man. Yeah. I'll bet you did. Oh. But they weren't jams, though, were they? No, they were mams. They were mams. <laughs> <laughs> they were my mams. Oh, man. Yeah, well, hey, look, I, I've always subscribed to keeping it simple, right? Yeah. My my daily uniform is jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. It sort of just stayed like that since since high school, you know? Well, it's easy. It's super easy and... It's hard to screw it up. It really is hard to screw it up. Like, I don't really have to think too much about it. You know, yeah. I've got jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, On occasion, a sweatshirt when I want to mix it up. 
<laughs> but then, like, if things go wrong, you can just take the sweatshirt off and you're back to normal. Exactly. I'm like, oh, man, it's getting hot in here. Like, as in, like, the pressure's on me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just take it off. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, like Pat's doing right now. Yeah. Speaking of which, Pat is back on the mic. Oh. Well, he's on our mics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So hopefully you guys enjoy the sound quality better than last week where he was slacking off doing whatever. I don't even know what he was doing. I don't even think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, well, he, I, I think, think he, was, he was. I think he was working. He, yeah, he was working something. All right, he was straining. Yeah, he was straining it. Yeah, he's working. Yeah, he's working a little me time. I think in he there. Was, he was pouring it all out. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. yeah, I hope you had a good time, Pat. I hope it was worth it. It was. <laughs> did, did you feel energized? A little bit, yeah. Good. Hey. Oh, you guys thought no, no, no. He, he's he works at a coffee shop. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he was working the juice bar that day. The juice bar. <laughs> Yep. Is that what we're calling it now? That the is what we're bar. calling it. Playing with yeah. his beans. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but sometimes, sometimes, Galeno, you just got to know when to tap. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I know what you're getting at. I think we're going to get to the meat of this conversation today. Yeah, so let's do it. Let's do it. Let's unpack this one. All right. And I ain't talking about Pat's juice bar either. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we want to talk about this as the, the something that um, you know it's always on our minds. I think when we're grappling, yeah, especially in especially in terms of jujitsu, but this really can be applied uh, in a, to a variety of different contexts throughout your life. And and that is, we want to talk to you guys today about learning how to tap. Okay, so when you start jujitsu, if you have a good instructor, that instructor is going to tell you one of the first most important lessons about jujitsu is know how to tap. Right, so they yeah. teach you specifically what to do. Right, for us in jujitsu, you can tap the person. You tap them twice, and that's a tap. Right, you can say tap, you can tap with your foot. You know, any way that you can notify your partner that you've been submitted. Right, that you're mm -hmm. in too much pain. You're going to go to sleep. You're under too much duress or discomfort. Something's going to break. Something's going to break. So you're going to say, "Hey, that's enough." Right, yeah. and they let go of it. But as you progress, and it doesn't take long, and then by say progress, I mean you've been there a couple of weeks. You start to feel like if your your performance is judged on how many times you get tapped. So I see a lot of these like posts on Facebook. I hear a lot of it in conversation where people are talking about having a terrible day where they just got tapped constantly. And I think that was probably the best day ever for you, yeah. right? Because you learned so much in this. But what happens I think is the mindset is is that if I'm if I'm getting tapped all the time, then I suck at jiu-jitsu and I've got no business being on the mat. Or what a terrible day it was. And and so what happens is they start to accumulate some defense techniques and then they start to D up, right? The, yeah. They start to they start to hold on really tight to to every every defensive position they can and it makes it very difficult to get the submission. But what happens is, and I'll watch these matches, they're five-minute match, and somebody gets dominant position and starts to work a submission, and that person Ds up, and then they'll hold it for the next four minutes mm -hmm. you know, of the match. And what happens in the end is that whether they get the submission or not is not important, but you guys have just wasted four minutes of time trying to fight for a submission, and the person on the bottom has spent four minutes just defending that position. Yeah. You haven't learned anything. Yeah. So, and, and, and to combat this, you know, there's times when, when we get to the rolling portion of, of a class where we will say out loud to everybody, be conscious of your movement. You know, if you guys stop moving, you find yourself locked up, 
somebody move, give up the position, move along, yeah. keep it moving, make sure your body's always, you know, engaged. Um, you know, for that reason, I think sometimes people tend to like freeze and, and wait out a situation like almost as if like you've got yourself in a dominant situation. And I've seen where people will, will hold a dominant situation or a position and they're waiting for the right thing to happen before they apply the submission. The times I've seen where this is like applied is in tournament. Right. Right. You know, we're not, we're not waiting for that one, you know, kill shot to happen in the gym because that's a practice place. Right. Right. So are you telling, are you telling our listeners that you let go of submissions sometimes? Ooh. I'll never tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will, I will go ahead and break the ice on this one. I let go of submissions all the time. All the time. All the time. I let go of them all the time because mostly because I feel like the position I'm in probably isn't good enough for me to get that submission without an excessive amount of force. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I realize that it's my technique that's off. So it's not your fault. I'm not letting go of it because, you know, the person I'm rolling with sucks at jujitsu. I'm letting go of it because I failed to yeah. set this up correctly. And there's no point or purpose in going after this if it means that I have to muscle my way through it. Right. No, yeah. I mean, it's totally it's totally a reality that um that you know, it's like <laughs> It's like when I'm working on my car, right? Like you, you and your like, car analogies. Yeah, I mean, I, I could take something and like try to like gently put it into place and and you know finish up the job. It might take some patience, but do it right. Or you can just jam it in there, <laughs> just cram it in there, and then you know next thing you know you're scratching things or you're breaking other things. And now you've got more stuff to fix. Or right, you know. So you know the the idea is is that. Um, you know, it, the the value of keeping moving opposed to getting the kill right. is, in, in a lot of cases in our daily role, a much higher value. Right. And I, and so, and I think it's important to, to give this some, some amount of context too, in, in terms, specifically in terms of jujitsu, because I love the kill. You know, I, I in, in terms of tournament, I prefer submission only to points fighting. I'm a terrible points fighter. And so I like I like the submission. I like the kill. And I like the idea of that. But in the gym environment, when you're at your academy, it's it's a practice environment. And you are actually you're actively hunting for those submissions, but the idea is not to kill your opponent. Right. Because it's one of your gym mates. It's one of your training partners. And I noticed that a lot with the with the people that progress rapidly in jujitsu, who are always tacking on new uh, new ways of looking at their technique and applying that technique, that they are people who are willing to let go when they know that they've lost. When they yeah. when they failed at their position or they failed at their, you know, whatever attempt it was, that they they let go of that. Mm-hmm. And they don't just let go of the submission, but they also let go when you have dominant position. When they tried something and failed and you have them, you know, they're not fighting like hell to get out of that arm bar. Yeah. They're not fighting and this also prevents something else which is really important, and that is injury. It prevents injury. So, I mean, if you've accomplished the goal of, of dominating the position because I screwed up and you capitalized, then there's nothing wrong with me allowing you to, to tap me on that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? If I, and, and, and with that said, I think it's also important as you're, as you're progressing through those ranks, if you are working actively on defending a submission, then work on defending the submission. It's okay not to give it up. But I'm just saying overall, I noticed like... I notice time and time again that there are people that are at a certain level in jujitsu who should just let it go 
and move on with the role because they're afraid that then if they get tapped, then they suck and they're going to, you know, they feel bad about it. Nobody's talking about that stuff. Nobody cares. Yeah. So I guess what you're referring to there is like giving yourself an opportunity to learn. You have, yeah, you only have, so, so it's like, I'll be very specific about this. So you have an opportunity at a, at a lower belt to roll with a higher belt. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it's a black belt for the sake of argument. Cause we have a lot of black belts in our gym and they're good. They're good grapplers. They have a lot to teach you. And you as a student have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think your mindset says, if I allow this black belt to tap me, he's going, or she is going to think that I'm weak or I suck at jujitsu. The thing is, is they don't think that at all. What they're actually thinking is, why aren't you just moving so that we can roll, right? <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you're 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 deed up in turtle position, which is on you know, which is a quarter position. So you're on all, you're on your hands, you're on your elbows and your knees, and you're folded into a little ball, and you're a grown ass adult. So it's very difficult to get you to move and to sure. get anything out of that. But what you've done is you've just wasted that black belt's time in this match, and you've wasted your own time to learn anything. Yeah, so let me shed some light on this because I've, I've had this conversation with numerous uh, black belts in our school. And, um, you know, here's a little plug for our school. If you're not um, part of Harrisburg BJJ and Judo... You should be. <laughs> you should be. Um, we have we have several black belts that come f- from outside the school that, you know, for whatever reason, they were training somewhere else and they ended up here um, somewhere with the military. Happens all the time. Yeah, some a school closed... Um, so at any rate, they ended up at our school and the common thread that I'm finding is that, um, a lot of schools out there, um, for better or worse are led by one person who is a dominant force in the sport and they have a singular way of looking at the game, not saying that their game is singular, but, um, they apply their method and they teach their method, which is a, you know, a progression of moves to get the win. And, um, that kind of can be a bit of an echo chamber um, in a gym because, you know, everybody that's going there tends to learn that same technique or that same style. Right. And so they keep doing the same moves to each other. And so these black belts come to our gym. We have such a huge mix of people who have gone to so many different places that come from wrestling, that come from judo, they come from like just all these different, I mean, we've got a guy that, that came with, um, uh, Sambo experience, you know, and, and there's all these blending. So here's the, here's what I'm shedding the light on. Our black belts are approaching the roles trying to learn as well. And, and they've said like, they've learned so much coming to this gym because they're trying all this new stuff that they haven't necessarily experienced much before outside of going to a tournament. Sure. And so, um, our gym is so diverse in that way that your black belts are trying to learn too. And so if they're rolling with you and you curl up in a little ball and they're just, you know, sitting there waiting for you to like open an arm up or move in this direction or that direction, then you, you get five minutes with each person. You've wasted that entire five minutes of your life and their life. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And you've, uh, and you talked about this earlier. Uh, not on the podcast, but we, you and I have talked about this earlier, and that is when you, you know, part of the mentality that they're sharing in that is that they're free. They're free to play. Hmm. You know, these black belts that are coming in, they're learning or seeing new perspectives on, like, coming. maybe they're coming from a comp gym or whatever, which, again, is totally legit and totally fine. But if you're focusing strictly on that, on those components of things, you may feel obligated and I'm not speaking for them. I'm just saying it's possible you feel obligated to maintain a certain sense of, you know, 
uh, you know, dominance yeah. in your roles where you don't feel like you can just experiment or be free. Yeah. Well, our whole, like to have that feeling is, is, is a feeling of play. Yeah. And I think when you adopt the mindset in and this is especially for our lower belts, when you adopt a mindset of, uh, you know, defense, defensive posture, prove to the higher belt that you can't be tapped or that it's difficult to tap you. Nobody's like checking off a box saying that guy's got it. You know, Well, do you know what feeds into this though? And I think if I could say to Greg Anderson, one thing he can fix about our gym, um, that if you get tapped out by a lower belt, they take your belt away. <laughs> so if, you, if you're a black belt and you get tapped out by a purple belt, <laughs> they, you become a purple belt. That's right. That's exactly like on the spot. Happens. It's on the spot. It happens in my, so Greg, uh, if you can stop doing that. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. Thank you for t- thank you for tearing the uh, you know the shade back on that one. Yeah, Galeno, I mean because I feel I feel like it's. Been I got demoted week. six times. <laughs> I, I've spent my whole jujitsu career getting demoted. Yeah. <laughs> it totally sucks. Yeah, I so, mean, and it, it was Bobby Noble that did it the first time. Yeah, I mean, it's just constantly. You know? He used to be a black belt. You wonder why he's still a blue belt because he keeps getting tapped by blue belts yeah. and they keep bumping him back down. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, I think that I think that if you if you don't allow yourself the the opportunity to experiment and to play or you know, and I say this to our students a lot at, at 6 a.m. and uh, and I think it's important for for those that aren't part of our class to to hear this is that the the academy is your laboratory. It is your it is your place to experiment with what works and what doesn't and you're doing it in a in a safe environment. Um, and it, it gets you geared up to start understanding how to take calculated or measured risks, yeah. right? And I think that if you're, st- especially if you're someone who's stuck in a particular position, I, I, I mean, I'm going to put this out to the to the blue and purple belts who get to the point where they're like, hey, I should be at this particular level at this time, and I don't feel like I am. I encourage you guys to go out with the mindset of just having fun, playing around with what you know and getting tapped. Yeah. You're going to start figuring out like real quick like what's what's going wrong inside of your game. And if you don't know, then you can always ask. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's funny cuz we uh, I've been playing with around with this idea of of this is how adults play, right? So imagine when you were a kid like remember back, you would go out to play with your buddies, right? And you guys would build a fort. Okay. Right? Yeah. I'm so, with you. you know, maybe some of the guys and girls from the neighborhood all got into building this fort and you would start to set up rules for your for your club, right? Because this this fort had to become a club. And then you would scratch some like rules on the wall, right? So we have rules scratched on our wall too here at the gym. Sure. You know, and then every time you came back to your club, whoever showed up that like built this club with you, you would start playing with your imagination as soon as you got there. And, you know, oh, you got to go out and clean off the front area because, you know, we're going to keep our club clean and we're going to do this stuff. And, you know, had all these like, Things that you would do, oh, and and you know we're gonna go out and prepare the mud soup, you know, and and so you walk down to the creek and get the mud soup and you'd make it and and you know by the time the end of the day was over, you were exhausted with so much creativity and play and fun. Right. We already have the clubhouse. The wall. The the rules are scratched on the wall. All you have to do is show up and start creating and have fun and right. play. Yeah. And, and don't forget to do that. We're adults and we still get to do this. Yeah, it's true. It's amazing, man. It is it is pretty amazing. As well said. As well said. Although in my clubhouse it was just about who was going to get the porno mags. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
That was it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no, we got a leak in the roof and they got wet. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, there's dag nabbits. And yeah, then you gotta raid somebody else's closet. <laughs> it's well said. You, you know, the and I think this is important that you know how you take this out into the real world then outside of just jujitsu is is understand that like if you're not having a good time, you know, something's not working right. Yeah. You know. That's true. Um, the other side is too that some people get confused, right? So um, let's say that you you are a blue belt and you do tap a black belt, and you know they are immediately demoted. So now you're both happens. blue belts. Yeah, now you're both blue belts. Um, what's happening there is it's the daily experience of rolling and playing and having fun, experimenting, learning. Um, we can't confuse that with tournament prep. Right. So talk about tournament prep. What does that look like? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure it's different for everybody that, that goes to tournament, but that's your, that is your opportunity to test your skills at, at your A level, right? So when people talk about bringing your A game, they're talking about bringing your best self to tournament because you're, you really want to win. And nobody, and that, because it is the objective of the tournament. Primary. And primary objective. For, yeah. for many that it's like your first tournament or whatever, like there, there's no pressure there. Sure. If you're a white belt, if you're, and I would argue too, in a lot of ways, if you're white the whole way up to brown, nobody gives a shit mm-hmm. if you win or lose anyway. You know, um, everybody cares a great deal about the the high level black belt matches. Well, and, and like us, you and I, we earn our our income and our our money from competing at tournaments. Of course we do. So it's it's very serious well, for us. Everybody knows that there's a lot of money in jujitsu. Yeah, this is why this is why people get involved in it, That's especially right. in the competition circuit. I mean, there's mad money to be made. Absolutely. You know, and, I, and oftentimes I criticize it because you know, like people start selling out, you know, for more money, and I'm like, there's just too much money in this game. It would be more pure if we just did it for free mm-hmm. or had to pay to go to tournament. Yeah, because then stuff's really on the line. Do you know who the first? people to realize that there's not a lot of money in jujitsu who's that the patch company (laughs) (laughs) they're like wait you mean people are gonna buy a patch for and we're gonna sell how many how many of these are we gonna sell wait oh yeah never mind now i'm out forget it you can make your own patches (laughs) make make your own Yeah. So tournament prep. So there's, by the way, there's no money in jujitsu at all. Not, I mean, I think it's getting a little bit better in some shows, but for the most part, like the, the, the fighters don't really get paid. Yeah. You know, so the way they make their money is that they win tournaments. So they gain prestige and they open or able to open schools or give, or give seminars. And this is how they make their money. It's a really hard life. It really is. And it's a lot of work. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll change in the future um, as the sport becomes more widely known and, you know. Well, this will help. I'm going to break this news too. We've been breaking news all day today. I know it's like um, it's like your CNN. Yeah, but uh, so here's the news: uh, the next Olympics, jujitsu is going to be in there for real. No, I didn't think so. Because they yeah, talked it about been it. Awesome. They talked about it a couple years ago, and, I, and then I think, awesome. and then people started watching film on jujitsu, and they're like, "Fuck this!" Yeah, yeah. Wait, we already have judo. Why are we yeah, going to do not that? Doing this. Wait, you mean it's going to go longer? They're like, wait. <laughs> wait, you mean it's like judo but longer? Yeah. Mm. Mm, no, I'll pass. But we have judo and wrestling. Are you saying that we just take them both and make them the same thing? Right. Uh, so what do we do if we have two slots to fill? Then. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, good point. Yeah. We can have no gi. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right. <laughs> so, yeah, there's not going to be any jujitsu in the Olympics. Uh, but uh, tournament prep, you know, that that's your time for you to go again. That's your time for you to, to go out and, and show your A game. So, I mean, if you're if you're up on points and you're you're defending a position and not giving it up, there's a reason for that. You know, that's that's the time for that. But, yeah, and we we're, what we were talking about was that there's, um, you know, in tourney prep, there is no risk. Um there, there, there's a high risk aversion or there's no risk taking going on. Right. You avoid risk. You avoid risk. That's right. You go, you stick to the things that you know, the things that you practice, your game plan, you know, the, those are, and that's what you, you're bringing your jujitsu to the table. Yeah. And th- there's no time for messing around at that point. It's, it's, you go at it and use your, use your skill sets against another competitor who's doing the same thing yeah. and find out that day who comes out on top. Right. But versus our daily, which is where we're supposed to learn and be creative and have fun. That's right. Bring that sense of play. You yeah. don't worry about if, uh, you know, if somebody here's, here's the biggest worry. And I have this worry too, that, you know, we've spent all this time and years on the mats and, um, some wrestler comes in off the street and he's all buff and, and, you know, pounded into and he's a all sweaty, perfect specimen he's buff. And yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to like, next thing you know, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> like, how so you doing? What are you doing later? <laughs> yeah. You with anybody? Yeah. I noticed your Facebook status said single. <laughs> I mean, you're a hunk of man. Uh, you want to wrestle? You know, but that this person comes in and they like, they clean you up on the mat, you know? And it's like, that's a reality that could happen. Yeah. You know, and it's never um, happened to me, but, 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 you know, the reality is that we can go and, and still learn and have fun with that person. And again, the secret is our black belts are still learning. So you should be too. That's right. And and I and, and I would argue too, and you know, sort of just to wrap this up, is that I find that oftentimes like the the super high level uh, practitioners of jujitsu have found a way to meld both of those mindsets together, even in competition, where they're yeah. going out where they, they appreciate their skill set and their art, their mm-hmm. work as a creative uh, work that they've put together, that they've trained and practiced. And I guarantee you that in the gym they got they got tapped all the time, right? Trying to figure this out. And then they bring it out to the table. And that's what makes the most exciting matches. The ones that come out and they're ready to, they're ready to show the world what they did. Yeah. You know, and apply that to another practitioner. And so not only are they bringing their a game, but it's creative, it's innovative, it's interesting. And you're like, what the, yeah. So let's give this a try. Yeah. If you want real perspective on this, of what the highest level people do with this sport and how it can be brought home to be relatable to you. Just do a quick Google search of some of your favorite jujitsu practitioners and look for them as blue belts or white belts. And if you can find those pictures, they look remarkably just like us. That's right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So go out there and give them hell, guys. They yeah. Get tapped. Like it's you should be getting tapped. You should be getting tapped all the time. Yeah. Hey, so what's on your mind there, Chief? Well, Galino has a lot on his mind today, kids. I do. I do. So let me just start by saying this. I'm not against piercings. I'm not against body modification. Me neither. I like tattoos. You shouldn't be. You're looking. You're looking at somebody that's got yeah. a problem with that, and Pat's sitting right next to you too. Yeah. I I I love it all, but just. I had an issue where I saw somebody with a flesh colored piercing and it was like not the same color flesh as their own. It was slightly more red 
and pink, like a pinkish, yeah, pinkish red. And it, it looked like it looked like a, a sore. <laughs> it looked like it looked like it was sore. And, and so I started thinking to myself, like, when did that become a thing? To like, like, so like, there's a few colors. Let's stay away from right, red, cream, <laughs> cream. Because <laughs> I mean, so many things that are that are putrid and gross can be cream or a greenish cream, or, or slightly brown. So none of those should be on your face. <laughs> so anything that be like considered a pustule. Yeah, pustule. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if it looks like you can pop it, don't wear it. Okay. I mean, I, it's simple. It's on your mind. It's on my mind. And if it, if it makes it look more sore, like here's what works. Gold works. Blue. Uh, bright green. Uh, yellow, I'd stay away from the yellows. Mm, you're starting to like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it starts to like, yeah. yeah. Purple's good. Purple, I love purple. Black, silver, silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but when it's you get classic flesh, pink, red, reddish brown, reddish brown, greenish yellow, greenish yellow. That's a big no no. That's a no no. It looks it. it looks like it looks gross. It looks, it looks gross. like you can pop it. If you can pop it, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is there it is that's good that's good he's on a roll ladies and gentlemen so what else is on your mind because you've got a lot on your mind today yeah so um so this this literally happens on a regular basis right so i think we can all identify the fact that we have a very large group on facebook with our gym because there's so many members yeah tell me about i it. mean i have hundreds of friends then and, and a lot of them like aren't close friends like people that we just know like we've rolled once or twice together and we become friends on Facebook. Like it's a really large population. Uh, I think uh we've said this before just around 400 plus active members. Yeah. So if you consider all their family and friends that we've met, like this this becomes very big very quickly. Well, Facebook does this thing where they recommend friends. Right. Right? And so it it happens all the time that people will pop up and I've like I've never met that person and I have no reason to know this person, but you click on them and you're like, yeah, oh, that's how, okay, so they're friends with that person and, oh, I get it. I'm not going to friend them, but, you know, I understand where they come from and why they, sure. Facebook's, you know, algorithm put me, you know, in line with this person. But the worst part is then I, I run into them in public. <laughs> oh, no. And I feel like I should know them. I feel like we should say hi. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you don't know them. But I have no reason to say hi to this person. I don't know them. But, you know, it's like, and, and I wonder if, if anybody that's ever happened, like, where they want to come up and say hi to me because, like, I popped up on their feed, right? Sure. 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 So do you do you feel then, do you go ahead and say hi to them or do you just No, but I'm, stare my mind's them? changing now. Like, would I want them to come say hi to me? Yeah, they, yeah yep. you do. I think so. I think so too. Like, hey, I, I don't know you, but I I saw you on Facebook, and pretty sure I know you're you. friends with so and so, who's friends with so and so. That that they're my friends, and they're friends together. Hi. <laughs> exactly. Are we friends? <laughs> and I can't tell you how regularly this happens. That's 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 very strange. See, I'm not that observant. No. No. Uh, in fact, uh, I am, I'm often accused of like, uh, of it even being worse. Although, although I will say this, I used to think that there were people more awkward or 
or I used to think I was the most awkward person. Like if you saw me outside of the gym, if you ran into me at a certain place and it was out of context, it happens at the grocery store quite frequently, but these are actually with people that I am friends with that like, like that I'm close personal friends with and I'll run into them at the grocery store and it turns into an awkward exchange because this is out of context. You're not allowed to say hello to me because I don't know what to say. Or because we're not where we normally see each other. That's right. I'm here to get bananas. <laughs> not to have a conversation, right? Yeah. So then you find yourself in this conversation or whatever. But there was one other person that I ran into who will remain nameless that was the most awkward motherfucker ever. <laughs> Every time. And I'd run into him all the time. And it was like we were complete strangers that knew each other. Yep. So it's sort of like that in that same, <laughs> That's that same right. frame. So I'm terrible about that. I Also, I get accused like, you know, I just don't pick up on. I don't. It's not that I don't pick up on social cues. It's just that, like, my mind is usually, you know, somewhere else. And a thousand I'm not, different places. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm just not paying any attention, yeah. really. So I love it. Uh, there was one guy, uh, he's, he goes to uh, noon classes, and um, I'll run into him occasionally there. But I also see him at the giant food store. Yeah, of course. And um, after a couple times of like waving and awkwardly, like, um, you know, walking past each other. I told him the next time I see him, if he doesn't see me first, I'm going to, I'm going to take him down to the floor and I'm going to throw it like judo throw. <laughs> I'm going to take him down. Yeah. And so sure enough, a week later I see him and there he is. And I did, I, I, I attacked him from behind and another lady in the store didn't know what was going on. And he's a giant man, right? <laughs> and, and here are these two giant men are simulating fighting and she like, for a moment had a heart attack so, and then oh, she realized we were laughing and it was all fine but it's all know, good that's though. how i solve it just come up give me a hug attack me from behind and then uh you know we can be friends hey listen this is a piece of advice for everybody else don't do that to me <laughs> <laughs> you may end up dead I don't know that you'll end up dead but we certainly won't be friends afterwards we're not going to be friends going yeah. forward because if i drop those bananas yeah. Yeah, I was going to eat those. Yeah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I'm going to get you. So, what else is on your mind? Well, Speaking of oddities. Yeah, this this one. This is a good one. Yeah, I like this one. This one freaks me out a little bit. So, glitches in the Matrix. Glitches in the Matrix. Have you ever had that happen? Of course. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think many of our listeners will know, but there are probably those that have not partaken of the uh, Matrix movies. Yeah. But uh, I will say that uh, you should go watch them. Yeah, watch them first, then listen to this. Yeah. Push pause. We'll wait. (laughs) Okay, so now that you understand. (laughs) Okay, now that, welcome back. Now Now that you understand. I don't know which pill you picked. (laughs) So, but it happens all the time, right? Like you catch something out of the corner of your eye, and by the time you register it was weird, you look back and it's gone. Yeah. Or even worse yet, you have like an odd feeling. Like someone's behind you, and then you turn around and no one's there. I swear, dude, there are glitches in the network in the ma- matrix. Yeah, there are glitches in the matrix. Do you think deja vu plays a part in this as well? I do. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, well, so deja vu it happens so rarely, but it's like you can't stop it from happening, right? Correct. Like, at, the more you try to stop, like guessing what's going to happen next, like the more you're like, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that's like Pat and his juice bar. Yeah. When he like when he maintenances his juice bar, he's like, I've done this before. I feel like I've done this before. 
those bananas? <laughs> but it always freaks me out. It happened so a lot of times it'll happen when I'm like walking through my backyard, right? And something will catch my eye and I look and I see nothing, which makes me think of the uh, Predator movie. Sure. And I'm like, is it hiding in the trees and I just can't see it? Hey, listen, I want you to just hold on just a second because yep. there's probably a good amount of our listeners have never seen The Predator, so we should oh. wait We should wait for them to go watch that too. That's a good point. Ready? And we're back. Okay, and so now that you've seen The Predator, yeah. you understand what we're talking about. Yeah. The, the giant alien just like blends into the trees and I'm afraid... You know, like right around dusk, I'll be walking back into the house from out in the yard and I start to quicken my step because I'm like, I got to put some distance between me and whatever was in the woods just now. Do you realize that you're maybe three or four steps away from becoming agoraphobic? And I'm a grown man. I know. Do you, so when I was a kid, I was like that, right? So, you know, the dog's food was down in the basement. It was, you know, completely domestic basement. Sure. It's where all of like our toys and stuff were and the wash machine and storage. Yeah. But man, I tell you what, when that light would burn out or whatever, like one of the lights, so there's one light on and it's like dim and I got to get the dog food and I'm like, nope, I'm totally brave. I got this under control. Go down there, scoop the dog food. And I'm like, shit, I, I got to get out of here like quick, <laughs> but I can't let anybody know that I'm scared. So I just move as, you know, quickly and as measured as possible, Yeah, you know, and I just would refuse to look behind me. And, and you're get to still the top like this. and you go, oh, I got to the top yeah, step and you look like, back. Whoo. That was a close one. That was close because you almost got me. Do you know where else I used to do this all the time? Where is that? Both sides of the shower curtain. Like if I walk into the bathroom, I would, you know, walk up and go to go to the bathroom and you just take a peek back, make sure nobody's standing back in there, right? <laughs> or when you know I'm taking that's... a shower, I had to make sure that the shower curtain was sealed all the way across that no one was going to like reach in and like... <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know what though i think a lot of our listeners probably haven't seen the movie psycho oh so my gosh we're gonna need to pause for a minute and let them go watch it and now wasn't that scene fucked up at the end i know dude <laughs> ah his mother was him he'll spoil it oh, oh shit oh predator that's right. It's, it's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh so yeah, like glitches in the matrix. So none of this is real. It's so, none of it's real. It's all your mind playing tricks on you. Right. Hmm. So that's real because you took the blue pill. You did take the blue pill. And the question is, why are you even listening to this? It's over. 